Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show is, I think, a very special one. Uh, we have quite a few things to discuss. And I, I was very impressed. I'm going to give you a little list of it so you should, uh, you know, be interested. We're going to discuss Kosher Fest. We're going to discuss a little bit more further on what we talked about last week about a certain cashless agency, which we're not going to mention the name. We're going to talk about lorries. We'll talk about Empire. We'll talk about Edom. And I don't mean the the country. I mean the wine. Uh, and if we have time, we'll go into uh, Kezayas, Revias, Baltashlis. We'll see if we get that far. In any event, uh, let me just share with you that I, I discovered that people are listening to the show. How I discovered because last week's show, I I had uh, discussed a particular hashkocha in uh, that's uh, it's very active in New York City and uh, in eight countries, eight I'm sorry, eight states all across the country, and in four countries, probably the United States is one of them. In any event, this hashkocha is what I call like the new old kashrus. Uh, the old kashas from the 50s, the 40s, maybe whatever, going way back. And the uh, new part is that this is what's unfortunately happening uh, around us today, that there are some people that are coming into the kashas world that are not uh, working with the system that's been in place since the 80s, 90s, 2000s, you know, 2000 and, uh, and, and, and 10, etc., the new system is to upgrade, to guarantee kashras to the nth degree. It's not costing you any more money, and it may not even cost the, uh, the producer any more money, but it's an improvement in the standards because the kashras agencies have become expert in what they do, and they've been uh, developing techniques, and what can I tell you? They're all specialists. It's very interesting talking to these gentlemen, and not like the old days where they just were, you know, there seemed like somebody read the paper and, and became a cautious administrator. Now, it's a whole different game, and uh, people don't uh, don't say things without really being on top of it. However, these other hashkachas are doing something in shortcut. So, for example, one of the, uh, I, I gave out last week some of the signs of this hashkacha, because that's the way you have to know if anybody has these signs that shows that they're not playing the game like the rest of the people. The signs were that the place is open on Shabbos. I didn't even mention, but that usually it's not owned by a Jew. It's open on Shabbos. There's no mashkiach. Uh, they trust the owner, who is not Jewish, to check the, 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 the lettuce and the cabbage and broccoli, and to say that there's no bugs in it. And uh, this is, uh, these are just some of the, these are symptoms of, a, of something which is not appropriate for most of my, for my listeners, any of my listeners. It, it's just uh, not the regular kashrus that we've been working on and trying to improve all these 38 years that I've been watching kashrus and producing kashrus magazine to help uh, my readers understand a little bit more about what's happening. So that's a very, uh, was a very disturbing situation. And what happened was, <laughs> I'm getting, I got a lot of calls. I was really amazed how many people called who were listening to the show. And one person, 
who was in the Kashmir's field, said to me that, thank you for pointing out about this person. He knew who it was right away, but he thought it was very important that the my listeners hear about uh, the limitations of that Hashkocha. And then uh, several people, and I was interested, they were, all, they were out of towners, you know. To me, Lakewood is still out of town because I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn. So people from Lakewood, people from, uh, oh, uh, was it, uh, uh, I think it was Ohio, different, different places where people contacted me, who was that rabbi? And I told them, you don't have to know that rabbi. You just have to know the symptoms of the, of the issue, and you can be able to figure it out yourself that this is not something for you. You don't need names of rabbis. You can find out it's, it's simple. You go and you see the menu, you see the, the building, you look on, online, it tells you that they're open seven days a week, you know, then you know right away what, who we're talking about, what we're talking about. Rabbi. Yeah. I just want to say that we get numerous, uh, phone calls and texts to know <laughs> who is the rabbi. I'm not telling and the secret no, rabbi because okay, it yes. doesn't really matter. Oh, yes, right. It doesn't really matter because if I'll, if you'll tell, if you tell them this one, what about the next one? There's a famous joke. I may have told it on the air. I don't know if I told it, but it's a famous joke. It's a really a good one. It, 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 this, this fellow comes to the prospective uh, home where you know, he was go, he looking, he's looking into a shidduch, and he comes to visit where the, where the girl is, and, and, the, and the prospective father-in-law offers him a tea, and he has a tea. And then uh, they're sitting around a long time. <laughs> father-in-law, future father-in-law asks him, uh, well, you would like a second tea? Another tea? He says, yes, thank you. And then <laughs> it went on a third and a fourth time. He gave him four teas. <laughs> he sat that long. <laughs> I mean, look, can I tell you? And then some people don't take anybody out, and they just had the shows or whatever. But this fellow's sitting there, and the and the, 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 the older gentleman, the, the, the father of the girl, is serving him tea. So the next day, that man went over to the Rosh Hashiva where that boy learned and said, do you know what happened? And he explained to him the story. He says, I'm not his shamus. <laughs> I don't have to serve him. Why is he, you know, taking, you know, t- doing this? So, <laughs> so the rabbi said to him, Rosh Hashiva said to him, it won't help. Telling him won't help. Because if I'll explain to him about tea, he won't understand about coffee. <laughs> because that's the point. It, it's not the. It, you have to get the point. You don't have to. It isn't about tea. It's about who's who owes you anything. You're a young guy. That man doesn't owe you to be. He's not your slave. <laughs> Say thank you very much, and I'm I'm fine now. That's all. <laughs> that's what's supposed to be. You're not supposed to let him continue to work like that. So uh, the, the Rosh Hashiva realized that the boys didn't get it. And if I'll tell them about this, they won't, they won't go into their brains about how I acted other situations. So the same thing here. I don't have to tell you the name of that rabbi. You just have to realize anybody that's trying to pawn off on you, a non-Jewish man is checking your vegetables. <laughs> you know, the place is open on Shabbos. There's no mashkiach there. I mean, come on. You should be able to figure that one out. That's not, a, that's not really very good for anybody. So that's it. Okay, let's go. Let's start the show. <laughs> that's that's left over from last week, but to the the, the kosher fest, I'm not going to go into very much. But to let you know that, of course, kosher fest is tomorrow and Wednesday in the Meadowlands Convention Center, and uh, we have a booth over there. Kosher is at booth eight five one. If you come by, come to eight eight fifty one. The presentation for the Mashkiach of the Year Award 
Cautious Magazine chooses a recipient every year from all the hush, all the different hashgachos in the world. They send us emails with names of and contact information with their recommended mashgiach, or they can have they can recommend one, or they can recommend two, and we contact them and and review them, see if there's somebody that we feel is on the tops, and then we have to decide between A and B. It's a tough job, let me tell you. It is a tough job. Probably the hardest thing that I do in the course of a year. But anyway, that's what we do. I think next year we're going to make a change. It was recommended next year maybe we'll get a, a committee and I won't have to do all that work. But uh, initial work I'll have to do to interview basically some of the, the, the main people there. So however it works out, we choose this man and then we give him a $1,000. Okay, it's not my money. I get it from from uh, people who want to sponsor it, but we we give them a thousand dollars, and we have a presentation at Kosher Fest, which will take place on Wednesday at three o'clock. Now the show closes at four, so it's probably the last thing that's happening that day. Anyway, three o'clock on Wednesday in the main uh, area, which they have where they have their presentations. If you're at, if you're at Kosher Fest on Wednesday, make sure to drop to drop by and to say hello and to see who the the uh, Mashkiach of the Year uh, awardee is. Now I'm not going to tell you tonight because I want it to be a surprise to everybody. But if you do uh, tune in in the next couple of weeks, hopefully we'll have him on our show as well, and we're going to do an article about him. Uh, he's a very special individual, and I think uh, everybody would res- would respect. Uh, the the stat the level of uh, of his you know his hashkocha that he does the, for the as mashkiach for one of the major kashas organizations in the United States he's a very wonderful person and definitely worthy recipient of this award so that's a little bit of kosher fest and you can come by our booth eight fifty one if you go to kosher fest I used to make a whole deal at this show here I don't want to do it tonight because I have a lot to do but we always mention. Watch out for the milchers and fleishers and parava and the look for the different hashkachas, etc., etc. A lot of people forget that they're fleishers and then end up being milchers. Some people are grabbing here, grabbing there, the things with the table, they don't understand. Realize that nothing is set up for your benefit. It's there to sell. They're selling their products. Now, you don't charge them anything, but I'm saying, you know, but you, when you, but when you go there, they're going to give you free samples, but they're trying to sell, uh, you know, it's for the future. They're trying to get accounts. But, but as far as, uh, as far as the cautious goes, a place could have a milchiks and a fleishiks. A place could have a, a, a part of a milchiks or a part of a fleishiks. A, a place might have things that maybe you're not happy with just because the product has this and this hashgacha doesn't mean that that the crackers there or some of the other things that they're giving out free are of the same nature. They don't mean not have that hashkocha. So these are things you have to watch out for. There is a mashkiach, but there's only one mashkiach for the whole show. And I've made my complaint year after year that I don't think that that's sufficient because to have, we are booth 815, it means there are probably 400 booths or more a um, few hundred doing food, you know, giving out food. So, uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard for one man to be on top of that for the whole, for two days. But that's the setup. Anyway, that's Kosher Fest. They're over, I think it's 26 years old. 
I might be wrong, but I think it's the 26th year, and I've been at all of them except one. Uh, next topic, lorries. So here's something that was interesting. I'm going to straighten it out in the future, but I had mailed out the wrong information, which is what I got from the, from the Kashi's organization. So they changed their, the tune and, uh, now in the new tune. So if you, I don't know if you've ever seen lorries at the season, the seasonings, uh, we're talking about lorries seasoned salt. It's called Lori's Seasoned Salt. Lori's L-A-W-R-Y apostrophe S. They have a, um, a seasoning. It's called a seasoned salt. And, uh, it used to be OU and it still is OU, but it didn't have OU in the package. And the information that I got mistakenly was that it was, uh, not, no longer under OU, but, uh, you could check with the UPC and maybe we're still approved under OU. Under, with further clarification, we, we found out that actually it is continually, continually, it's, it's continuing under kosher certification from the OU and that actually the, it doesn't have an OU. It just means that they left off the OU. But they're recommending that if you find products from the company lorries without the OU, call the OU, they may also be mislabeled and be missing their 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 uh, OU designation. So it's not a bad thing. This was a change up, Baruch Hashem. Uh, but that's uh, we can only work with the information that's provided. Next question came up. Uh, this is something that uh, really threw me for a loop. I didn't know what I was getting into when I when I answered the phone call. It's from a good friend, somebody who's been close with us in Kashrus, uh for many years now, and he's a mashkiach for uh, a nursing home and a cook, nurse, also a cook, I think, too, for a nursing home. And he happened to purchase this wine for personal use called Pesag, I can't even pronounce it, Pesagot. It's P-S-A-G-O-T. I suppose it's Pesagot. Edom Wine. It, that's the name of the, the name of the uh, brand is uh is Pisagot, P-S-A-G-O-T, and then the and the particular name of the product is Edom, E-D-O-M wine. Now Edom makes wine for, for many years already. And I have information from the OU. By the way, it's under Rabbi o, under OU and under Rabbi Babad, or at least some of it. And uh I, they've been making it for at least for probably at least ten years or so, because I have bottles back to two thousand and four. I see information from the OU. It may even be for early, maybe even earlier. But here's the problem, and it is a problem. See, this fellow is a nice guy, and he went to a wine store and he liked this product, and he went and bought it, and he bought. They said, "Give me three bottles," and they grabbed off three bottles and they gave them to him. And he comes home and he sees they're not all they're not all mavushal. One is Mavushal, or two is Mavushal, and the other one's not Mavushal, or the other way around. They're not all Mavushal. And he doesn't understand that. He goes and looks at it, and then he looks at the label, and he sees, oh, one's 2013, and one's 2014. So he said, but they were on the, on, they were displayed together. And I don't know if you know much about wine, and I certainly don't, but when you go to buy wine, you can buy one bottle, or you can buy a, a case. The case, hopefully, is going to be all of that type. 
But the individual bottle, of course, is whatever it is. So if you put them on the in the uh, display area, three of them, four of them together, and somebody says, give me three, give me two, whatever it is, you grab two and you put it into the bag and you hand it to the man and you'll fill the others in later. It's easier than going opening up a box in the backyard, going <laughs> lifting all the way from the basement, bringing it upstairs. So this is the way people do things. The only problem was that they merged them together. And why did they do that? Because the 2013, 2014, about the same price. I checked it out. They're about the same price. 2010 is double the price of the 13 and 14. It's like two bottles for one. It's an interesting phenomenon. I suppose 2010 was a big hit, may have won awards, I don't know. But for some reason, I saw online that they that the price is double. So maybe they're not going to mix those so easily because the owner is going to lose money. But if they would have... Uh, if they would have the 13 and 14 and then in the same price, let's say, it doesn't bother him if he takes a 13 or 14 and the, he figures the person doesn't really care and that's what he's going to do. So that's what this gentleman said and he thought it was very unfair because he felt that the, the, the label looks exactly the same and this one's unfortunate and this one's not. I felt a little funny about it because it is two different vintages, right? It's 2013, 2014. But, you know, he came to complain. He came to be cons- show concern. So I did my email. I contacted the OU and I contacted Rabbi Babad, and I told him about this issue. And really, I'm contacting you because it could happen to anybody. It's not OU problem. It's not Rabbi Babad's problem. It's the world's problem. It's the labeling problem. How clear are the labels communicating with us what they represent? You can always say it's your responsibility to check the labels, but this thing looks the same. I saw the labels. They look the same. And I I, I, I can understand that somebody uh, could make a mistake in the store, at home, whatever it is. And a lot of times when people look at the uh, label, they see, oh, this is a Mavushal wine. Okay. And he, next time he'll see it, he assumes it's Mavushal. And then here's the real kicker. I don't know if you know this, but when you go to a hotel uh, for a wedding, for uh, bar mitzvah, for uh, sheva brachos, and the caterer, you know, contacts with the uh, with the hotel, he's going to be doing this affair. So he takes care of everything in the kitchen, everything in the dining room, but there's one thing that he can't do: a real hotel. In New York, I don't know the rest of the country, but a real hotel in New York, whether it's in Staten Island or Manhattan or Brooklyn, you're not going to be able to bring your own wine. The caterer cannot bring his own wine or liquor. He has to buy it from the hotel. I know it sounds funny, but this is the fact. The caterer buys from the hotel. The hotel has kosher wines, and non-kosher wines, kosher schnapps and non-kosher schnapps. And you tell the person in charge of the of the alcoholic beverages that you want this and this and this, and you buy it, means the caterer, buys it from the hotel. And then the, the person from the hotel 
takes it out of a, this case or whatever it's just on this area, storage area, and hands it to the caterer's men, and then the, the mashkiach has to make sure that everything's in order. So the mashkiach says, let's get Pesagot Edom. They want to have Pesagot Edom. They like it. They asked for it. So he goes and he orders Pesagot Edom. Now, in the, in the catering business, you got to have Mavushal wine. Even though I don't hold too much from the whole Mavushal thing. But anyway, you need to get Mavushal wine. Why? Because you have non-Jewish waiters. And you're non-Jewish staff in the hotel. So you're not going to be able to control anything. You have to come in with proper uh, Mavushal wines. So he tells him, Pesachot, and he says uh, whatever it is. And he's seen this thing a hundred times with that Mavushal. And he goes in and orders, and the, the, the caterer is ordering from this fellow when he grabs some bottles and puts it in. He may not be a whole case. Maybe three, give me three, four bottles of it. That's enough for them. And we have the other things, some of these and some of those. And he puts it in. Now the mashkiach has to check every single bottle because some of them will be mavushal and some of them won't. So I sent out my email, etc. But, you know, I like to follow these things up as much as I can. So I went to the OU website and I opened up. And sure enough, I check. I want to check if the Psagot wines, you know, if it's OU and what it says there, if it says, if it says Mavushal or not Mavushal. So here's what I did. I went there <laughs> and I found, now this is what I saw. Again, I don't, I may not have opened the whole thing up because I didn't even see this 2000, I did see 2010, but I didn't see the 2013 or 14. So I saw a 13, but not a 14. And he claims that this fellow claimed to me that 2014 is also under the, I don't know. I cannot tell you what the 2014 is really, but I opened this up and here's the interesting thing. On the Yoyu website, it says, Edom, uh, Psagot, Edom 2011, non-Mavushal. Psagot, Edom 2011, Mavushal. In other words, they make, they make both types. They make Mavushal and non-Mavushal under the OU. OUP, both, both of them, Mavushal and non-Mavushal, same exact Name, same exact vintage, both 2011. Wow. That means that you have to be very, very, very careful. And even if you get a case, an entire case, you have to check every one. That's it. That's what I see here. I didn't get a chance to talk to anybody yet. I only sent out my emails. It was the first step, and we're trying to, you know, see what we can do. I'm strongly recommending that they, when they change from Mavushal to Namavushal, Namavushal to Mavushal, put a new type of label on. Get the company, you know, to upgrade. Tell them it's good for business, which it really is, and it's, uh, it's too confusing for the for the coach to consume, which it really is. And if they don't want to change the whole label, what you can do is a little box in the back where they have mavushal and then whatever they say over there. That could be 
in a, in a box. It could be white on black, black on white. You could do what you want. You could, you could still change it. It doesn't have to be a whole new label. It could be a little, you know, a little, little difference. The words are going to be printed again. So it's a new print of a new label. It's not a question of any dollars. It's going to cost them the same money. So all you have to do is effectuate some kind of uh, clear indication that this one is different than that one. So then people can get used to it. A person who buys this thing regularly or is trying to distinguish, he'll be able to easily distinguish. The way it is now, it is confusing. So that's the point. And it again reminds us that the labels are not enough and that we have to use with the visually see them and we have to keep our brains open and we have to imagine that something could go wrong. So I thought that was very interesting. Uh, I, the, the empire thing, I don't really have to go into. I'm going to mention it briefly. Everybody in the world probably knows about it because I'm sure every single newspaper and whatever it is has reported it. But it's a, an interesting phenomenon. I think I have the material here. Yes. First of all, yeah, I should note that this is called a voluntary recall, which means they didn't force Empire to do it. This is something that they did on their own. But there's a couple of interesting features that I want to tell you about. Number one, um, this is a huge recall. It's 10,839 pounds of raw poultry from Empire. Okay. 10,839. Okay, now most people, they buy a package, it's maybe a pound, two pounds, three pounds, I don't know how much it weighs, but that means you're talking about a lot of product. A lot of product. It was all produced on November 2nd. The announcement from the United States Department of Agriculture went out on on November 9th. Seven days later. It it says here in the uh, piece that I received, the problem was discovered on November 2nd by an establishment employee who observed metal foreign material in a chicken breast while performing routine duties. The establishment took corrective action to cover products before reaching commerce. But the actual announcement that came out from the FSIS, which is the United States Department of Agriculture, Food Safety, and Inspection Service, did not go out until November 9th, a week later. And I'm sort of surprised that if the, if Empire spotted this on the 2nd, if uh, it was an employee, it was produced on the 2nd, the same day an employee caught it, and then why did we have this announcement going out a week later? I think it should go out the next day or the same day because today's world, you can get the information out the same day. Now, you'll say maybe they don't know exactly what it covered. Maybe it covered these dates and that date. It's okay, you know, whatever. But still in all, it doesn't shouldn't take a week. And uh, I think we, we, we really should have been informed of this. I don't know how dangerous it is. It's not clear at all how dangerous it is. Might not have been that dangerous, can't say. It seems all of the products 
were Empire Kosher Natural Chicken Breasts, Boneless and Skinless. That's it. And there were five case codes, and the dates that they sell by was from 11.14 to 11.17. So anything that says past 11.17 on the package doesn't is not affected by this at all. Anything that says 11.18 and on, uh, you know, it, it does not cannot be affected by this. But it's but it's still interesting, and I, I couldn't figure out for the life of me why all these packages that seem to be the same had different sell by dates. Why do you sell this one by the 14th, this one by the 16th, this one by the 17th? I would assume they're all produced in the same day. They should have all the sell-by dates, same. But less, and it seems to be it's exactly the same product. So it's a little hard for me to understand that one. I, I didn't grasp it. Um, there is a telephone number, and I'm going to give it to you. And in case you have any concern, this is an Empire telephone number for any questions about this. There's another, uh, if you want to call the government, so they are USDA Meat and Poultry, their hotline is 1-888-6, I'm going to give you the the letters instead, M as in Muncie, P as in Potato, Hotline, one eight 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 M P Hotline. MP is meat and poultry. MP Hotline, and they'll answer any questions you want. And they're open from ten to six Eastern Standard Time. Okay, next case. Uh, this is something that's interesting to me. I got a piece of paper here. It's okay from an, you know from Israel. I don't know how much you're watching. I'm watching the thing very, very closely. It's something that disturbs me no end. And I even spoke about this, what's going on in this country about lowering of standards. And now I'm talking about Israel lowering the standards. I've talked about the, even last week. I mentioned it too. I'm looking at what they call Hatzhara. A Hatzhara means a declaration that is being made by the store owner, a restaurant. Okay. In this case, it's, Pasta besta. I suppose it means the best pasta. Pasta besta. <laughs> if you want, if you want to know how to speak Hebrew, I'll tell you how to speak Hebrew, but I don't know if I should say it on this, on the air here. I'm listening to something in Hebrew and, uh, it says, you know, it says Black Friday special. It didn't say, you know, uh, Yom Shishi Shechora. <laughs> it said Black Friday special. When I was a kid, they we knew that in Israel they invented words radio and televisia, but Black Friday special that really that really surprised me. In other words, they know what's going on here better than I do. I'm not even sure which day is Black Friday yet. Okay, so this Hatzara is a declaration, because they're not allowed, if they don't have the Rabbanut Hashkocha, you can't put up a Tu'udat Kashrus, but you could put up a declaration of what you what you uh, are selling there. So they have a declaration of this Pasta Besta, and it says, it says that um, they claim that their standards. 
So let me read the standards to you. And this is a non-kosher claim, but it's as close as they're going to get to a kosher claim. Hamakom sagur b'shabes. It's closed for Shabbos. This is only milchiks or parva. There's no meat. Motzrei alcohol of dubedika. They have the 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 anything containing alcohol has been checked. Motzrei hachalav heim chalav Yisrael. We only use chalav Yisrael. Kamech menupa benafat meshi betzvifot chamishim mesh. He says we 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 um, sift with a fifty mesh uh, sifter. That's how close the uh, the lines are together. Bahanat mafim bekamota ole al. 1,000, I'm sorry, 1.2 kilogram kemach. So he tells you they take off challah. We only use lettuce and vegetables that need inspection that came free of insects. It doesn't tell you how it became free of insects. Maybe it was the owner who's not a Shomer Shabbos checking. Maybe it came uh, from some other way. You know, it could be they, they're buying ones that are already pre-checked. I don't know. There's no way of knowing. The problem is that a lot of people are gullible anywhere in the world. And in Israel, what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to see these Hatzarot and going to start trusting the Balabas. He, he looks nice. He may even wear yarmulke. Remember the, the yarmulke that was in the, on the stores of the butcher stores when the fellow was not religious and the, and the, and the yarmulke fat, sat on his head in some kind of funny way? So if they're wearing a yarmulke, does it really mean that he is a Shomer Torah mitzvah? I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of people come from Israel and, and, and they claim to be Shomer Shabbos and, uh, the owners are fine. You know, we find out that the owners are not Shomer Shabbos. And so it's, uh, no, it's not, uh, not such a good, uh, system. Uh, so I'm telling you to watch out for that word Hatsara. It means that the place is not under a kosher certification from the Rabbanut or one of the legitimate kashvis agencies. It, it may be under the supervision of, uh, and a certain agency that does pretty much what uh, what this other gentleman does here in the states, in the sense that uh, we don't know who's really checking. He relies on people who are not Shomer Shabbos to do things like checking vegetables. He relies on them, claiming that they're trained and they're interested, etc. Uh, he has uh, some. He comes only very periodically. Uh, the gentleman that I was mentioning about in New York comes about every two weeks. I don't know how often they come over there. But again, go with the regular standards that you used to. When these new people come in, I would say, okay. Now we're, we have a little, we have more time, Baruch Hashem, to go on to some of our other topics. I, I'd like to, um, to tell you about the this piece that I we 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 worked on this past uh, Sunday, on Sunday I give shiurim. Let me go give you a brief idea of what I do during the week. Tonight, Monday night, I give a shiur in Basa B'cholov at one 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 four Avenue O. 
That's 1114 Avenue O. That's between East 12th and, and Coney Island Avenue. It's in a building called Avrechem. And we, we give a shear there from 8.30 to 9.45 in Mara following. And it's just starting Basabachol at the very beginning of Yeridea for Smicha. So we have a nice group that started with us. And we'd like to have some more if anybody would like to join us. Then on Wednesday and Thursday and on Sunday, I have other shiurim in Yeridea. The same time, the same place. 1114 Avenue O between East 12th and Coney Island, and there's no charge whatsoever. So if you're interested in Oshiram, come and join it, try it, try it out. Uh, if you have never done anything in Shulchan Aruch, come on Wednesday night. You'd find that probably the easiest. If you're more proficient, try Thursday and um, Sunday, I'm saying Monday is probably the most challenging. So, uh, but we love to have you. And uh, Sunday and uh, and Thursday are, would be just fine as well. But on, on Sunday morning, I do a shear on brachos. And I want to share with you some of the things that we were discussing this past week, which uh, we got uh, a paper from the Star K, and we were working off that in, uh, in Simon Reish uh, Yud, which talks about the shear for a bracha achrona. Like you'd have to have a kezayis for brain of fashos. You have to have a revius if it's a liquid. If you're having uh, something that's, uh, if you're having a, uh, a wine, the question about whether or not wine requires a, a full revius, malilugmov, a kezayis. It's a whole discussion and I'm not going to be able to go through all that now. But some of these points that was made by Rabbi, actually it's, I forgot the gentleman who wrote it up, but uh, they claim to be Rabbi Moshe Heinemann's psukim from the Star K. So and the people from the Star K wrote it. So let me give you an idea of what a kezayis is according to his definition. He says it's 1.27 fluid ounces. And he gives you an example, which I think is helpful. He calls it a golf ball. Now, if you've seen a golf ball, it's not a big ball. Don't get an idea. It's not a softball or a hard ball. It's a teeny weeny ball. It's going to be an inch in diameter. And uh, that little golf ball is what he calls a kazayas. So he says it's equal to something like a roll of quarters would be about the same size. And this is what he says, which is all very interesting. Approximately seven Manashevitz tam-tams. And then he discusses the case about if you have, I, if these are things you eat, graham crackers. So if you remember, the graham crackers come together as two parts of one long thing. It's like two squares that are attached, right? That's the way a graham cracker works. So he says if uh, a graham cracker with both sides, both halves, and another half of it one. So it's like two and a half graham crackers. That's what, it would be a bracha achrona nalimichia. This gives you an idea of some of the, uh, idea, some of the things. The problem comes up with bread. We've said here many times, my Rebbe said one piece of white bread. But truthfully, white bread, sometimes it's spongier. Sometimes there's a lot more air space. So the breads are not made evenly, so it's a little harder to do. If you really want to measure it out, be 100% accurate, you got to look for this 1.27 fluid ounces, uh, which is uh, 38 milliliters, milliliters. 
So it's up to you if you want to go this way or that way, um, and it definitely gives you an idea of how to deal with it. Now I have uh, this. Uh, this the, the, sometimes I have to eat a kebaya, which is a double kezayis. Now, how is that? So it's like two golf balls, okay, or two rolls of quarters. But how do I, you know, how do I put it into uh, other another things? My rabbi taught, Vashazim and Zatol taught that a piece of rye bread, the middle slice of a rye bread, is equal to a bay is is definitely a beya, which means this double kezayis, which means enough for things like how much uh, to eat in the sukkah. In the first night of, uh, first night of sukkahs, how much you're supposed to eat there, how much you have to have in order to make a leisha besukkah on all the nights. This is, um, based upon the, the rule of, we call kebeya. It's a, it's a double kezayas, double olive size. Okay. Now, the problem comes up, and this is, uh, so, oh yes, yeah, so there's one more point, important thing here, which we've mentioned here a number of times, and that is, when you wash your hands for the tilas yadayim for hamotzi, so the halacha is that you're supposed to have a beitza size, a beitza size of bread. So, uh, let's say, for you're supposed to have these two golf balls, right? Now, let's say you change your mind, and you only want to have one golf ball, you only want a small piece of uh, bread. So then the halacha is that you didn't say a bracha levatala, even though you didn't have the beya, but since you washed with intent to eat that much, then you are, you're good. Your bracha is not a bracha levatala. It's not a bad bracha. But when you wash and you know you're only going to eat one little slice of bread, you're only going to eat one golf ball size of bread because you're not in the mood for it, you don't like it, it's not good for you, whatever, then you're not allowed to make the bracha of al-Tiyasadayim. You have to wash your hands, two on two, two on this one, two on that one, but you can't say the bracha. And that, anytime you have any small little thing, you have to make a, you have to make a, you know, wash your hands, but you don't have to like a bracha, unless you're intending to eat what we call a beta, a beya, a bread, which is double size of kezayis, which we said was like the middle slice of a rye bread. Continuing along, the main question comes up as to how long you need to eat it in. It's called kezayis bichedei achilas pras. Now, no one walking the face of the earth knows how much this is. Nobody has lived since the time of the Talmud and in the time of the Talmud could answer that question intelligently. How much is Kezayis Bechez Pras? How much time do you need to be able to eat it in? Nobody knows the answer for a simple reason. The Gemara leaves open it, a machloikis of whether it's three or four beitzim. That's three or four times that uh, those two golf balls, or for us, let's say, three or four big slices of rye bread. That's a huge amount. So that's not what you have to eat. <laughs> that's the time you can eat the kezayas in. So let's get it straight. A kezayas is a sixth or an eighth of that. In other words, you don't have to race to swallow the bread. It's not a not a race. You don't have to be nervous when you chew and swallow the bread. It's not a big deal. You're going to make it. I'm telling you, you're going to make it. 
but we're not exactly sure how much the time is. So it's recommended to have that kazayas within two minutes. This is very significant because if you don't have it within two minutes, then there's a big question mark of whether you're allowed to bench and you, or you have to bench or don't because you didn't eat a kazayas of bread in the required time. Now, two minutes is a long time. I don't know if you realize how long two minutes is. The average person can finish his kazayas in five seconds or maybe ten seconds. But he, if, it, if something is geschmack, uh, let's take, uh, you know, some chalas are just out of this world. And some people, and, and they're filling and they're full and they're, and they, they, there's a kazayas in a small amount of space. And a lot of people could knock that off in, 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 in 10, 15 seconds. So it's uh, not, it doesn't sound like a scary thing, the two minutes. But if you miss the two minutes, then according to Rav Moshe Feinstein, you have up until four minutes. He says three or four, but let's say, let's use the number four. And then you could definitely bench. If it goes past four minutes, there's a machlekasin. Some say nine minutes you have. Some say this and I mean that. I'm not going to go in there, but we're going to work with the two to four minutes, two or three or four minutes. In other words, eat it quickly. So when you're coming to the question of a su'ud on Shabbos, or you're going to a bris, a bar mitzvah, a wedding, make sure to eat a kazayas at some time during the meal. Kazayas a bread without using the cell phone, without being in the middle of a story, without drinking a lot of soda or coffee or tea, whatever it is, just eat straight without making yourself nervous. Don't, don't, don't try to squeeze it in. There's no problem. Two, three, four minutes is certainly going to work, but just do it at one point preferably the very, very, very beginning when you make the hamotzi. But if you can't do it then or you don't want to do it then, so but just make sure you're going to eat the whole a whole kazayas in one shot and without any interruption. And then you're fine for the benching. But the people who drag it out, it's a big problem. In this forum I saw they bring down that if you had a whole meal, let's say a Shabbos meal or a chasana meal, and you didn't have your kazayas in at one time. You drew it, dragged it out, but if you're satisfied and filled from the meal, then the benching might be minhatoira from the, from, and therefore you can bench. But it's, but really, that's not what we do. We make sure to eat a kazayas, a bread at one time, in the time that it takes to eat a achilas pras, which is we're saying two, three, or four minutes. We try not to do more than that. Later on, eating the rest of anything you have is fine. Any time, time periods don't matter. But for this, it does matter. For the, for the other kazayas, for the, for the responsibility of washing for, with a bracha, that doesn't have to be eaten in, in kazayas, but we do need one kazayas in order to effectuate a proper benching. Now, also, we're going on to the question of uh, of a revius now. What, of course, is a revius? Again, this is not something that is decided by anybody that we, we know for sure this, we know for sure that. We don't know for sure what these numbers are. 
The stories about the Chafetz Chaim, many, many stories about the Chafetz Chaim with this Ravius. Some hold that, that the Chafetz Chaim wanted 3.8 fluid ounces. The, was a, there's a famous Chafetz Chaim's Becher, which is small. It's like maybe like that, you know, me or something. It's a rather small Becher. And uh, I spoke to the grandson of the Chafetz Chaim, and he Davin's with me, and he told me that they didn't know that which was the grand, which was the Chafetz Chaim's Becher because I broke it. <laughs> he broke what's known as the Chafetz Chaim's Becher. So the, the Becher that they were using was a different one he had. So the, the the number of the 3.8 or whatever you're going to come up with was not necessarily based on what the Chafetz Chaim preferred to have. So it's not very, very clear what the Chafetz Chaim's Becher was like. And some people have different numbers. Rav Moshe, Rav Moshe Feinstein, actually through Rav David Feinstein, his son, got all of one of the G'dayli Ador, so Rav David uh, held 4.42. I mean, he holds 4.42 fluid ounces as a Revius. The Chazanish has found five ounces or a little more. So there's obviously a big spread between under four and over five. So there's a nice little spread in terms of what is considered a revius. Now, do you have to drink the whole revius to say a, uh, to say a bracha achron of al-gefen? The answer is yes. Now, what's the shear of the revius? Nobody really knows. At the same time, we have a smaller shear that David gave out. I'm not going to get lost in this, but I'll try to explain it the best of my ability. He said, he mentions 2.9, 3.3, and uh, he, he mentions 4.42. As far as I'm concerned, let's do the 4.42 because that's, we want to be machmi. We want to make sure we yotze. We don't want to. We don't want to have halfway yotze. Maybe yotze. There's there are bunnins and bedievids. Let's stick to one thing. Not for a little kid, but for us who are listening to the show. Go for four and a half ounces or over five if you want to do the chazanish. But you don't need seven ounce glasses. And if you have a big glass, you don't have to drink the whole glass. You have to drink a revius. For a bracha achrona, you have to drink a revius. And how long do you have to drink that revius? That's a big question. How long can you have the revius? That is a very big question. There are those who feel that you have the same two, three, four minutes that I gave you for a piece of bread or a piece of fruit or whatever. And there are those who say no. Drinking a revius can only be done what the Gemara calls Kedei Shtias Revius, the time it takes to drink a revius. What's the time it takes to drink a revius? Some say there's a number 30 seconds. I never know if that's the, really the way it works. But it's definitely the Gemara talks about two or three sips. You could have it in one sip too, but two or three sips is more appropriate it uh, it shows that you're not uh, starving. So two or three sips is acceptable for a bracha achrona. It's suggested in the Gemara to drink with two sips rather than three sips. Three sips is being too fancy. One sip 
is being too makes like you're too hungry, and the in the in between is the two sips. But three or two is all going to be good, and then you be yotze uh, the shear of kedeshias pras. I'm, I'm sorry, the, the shear of kedeshdias revius, which will work for everybody. There are those who say no. You have even up until two minutes or three minutes or four minutes. But uh, I spoke to David about that, and he said he you don't we don't go there. We we only make a bracha achrona if you have it in the two or three sips. That's it. So, for example, now I'm having chicken soup. Geschmacket <laughs> chicken soup, right? That's Jewish. Uh, that's a Jewish medicine, right? Geschmacket chicken soup, and. Uh, you have some, uh, you know, we're not. We have some little, some vegetables in there. Maybe there's a little chicken floating around. It's left, or maybe not. So, what bracha do you make on it? No, some people are going to make a shahako on the soup because the soup is the chicken soup because that flavor of chicken. And uh, the vegetables, you have to make a bracha dum on them. What about the bracha chrona? The bracha chrona. It depends. Did you have enough? vegetables or chicken because then you have two three four minutes to be able to eat it and did you have that in two three four minutes we didn't we only had a little bit in there it's pretty much soupy huh and the soup you use the spoon right what else are you going to do you're not going to drink it straight out of the you know just drink it out of the bowl that's that's uncouth so you're taking a spoon uh, how big is a spoon they used to make very big spoons. I don't know if you've seen them. They used to make very big spoons. Could be you could have like uh, you could have it in two or three sips if you had those big spoons, but people don't use them. So you used a sp- soup spoon. And which size soup spoon did you use? <laughs> there are some that are very small, and there are some that are larger, and there are some that are very large. But the old style ones that are really, really big, people don't do that anymore. So you have a soup spoon. That means you took it in. How much did it take you to take four ounces? Four sips with the spoon? No brachachrona. Five sips? No way. Unless you're going with the shear of the two to three more, four minutes, which which goes for solids, not for liquids, you have a big problem making a bracha on that chicken soup. So that's something that I think uh, a lot of people should realize that we have, uh, we, we come into contact with the, uh, we have a situation where we are eating a lot, but sometimes you can't even make a bracha of a barena fashos. You could be even happy and satisfied, maybe completely satisfied. Won't be hungry for a couple of hours. But still, you may not be able to recite a bracha achrona. Now you have a you have a tea, a burning hot tea, a coffee, burning hot. I take mine black, no coffee, no no milk, please. So I black a little sugar, yes, no, whatever you do. And now you're drinking this, uh, and you're it's taking you time. You're taking you time. You sip it a little bit here and sip it a little bit there, and then at the very end, it's too cold. You don't even drink. You throw it out. <laughs> so, well, that's what. So, therefore, you never drank th- four ounces, four and a half ounces in uh, with, with in two or three sips. You had a few sips, but they weren't four ounces. 
And when you did have the four ounces at the end, uh, it was missed a little bit here, a little there, maybe you didn't even finished it, like I said, threw it away. So, because no one likes it cold. So, really, you cannot make a brachachron on tea or coffee unless you are, have what we, we, we consider to be a revius at the end of when it cooled off enough to be able to drink it in two or three sips. Most people do not do that, and therefore most people should not be saying a bracha on tea or coffee. The same thing goes for ice-cold soda. Ah, geschmacker, ice-cold soda in the summer, ice cubes and this, and they put it in the freezer for a while. It's real cold. Can't drink it at all. And then you can't make a bracha chrona. When you bought that freezing cold soda, or you kept it in the ice, uh, in the ice chest, or uh, when you're going out for the, the day, or you kept it in your freezer for a little while, and it got real icy, real, 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 <laughs> you know, real cold, you can't make a brach achrona, because it was too little, too long of a period. That's how we learned the halacha. You can maybe some people say a little differently. I'm not sure, but uh, that's the way our rabbanim taught us the halacha. Uh, just uh, another thing, or another two seconds here. So let me remind people. Uh, I'll give you out my number again. My number seven one eight three three six eight five four four seven one eight three three six eight five four four. If you would like to uh, get a subscription to the Kashas magazine. I'm giving you the special now that we having at Kosher Fest. Um, you can have one subscription for twenty dollars instead of twenty eight, or two subscriptions for thirty dollars. Uh, that's the those are two specials that we have at the Kosher Fest. If you want to take advantage of them, contact us seven one eight three three six eight five four four or Kashrus K A S H R U S at AOL dot com. Again, K A S H R U S at AOL.com or 718-336-8544 if you want to know information about the Shiurim. But if you want to come tonight, just come to 1114 Avenue O, the uh, between East 12th and Coney Island Avenue. We have Sforum for you. Just come one flight up, and I'll be there from 830 to 845. One more thing I want to tell you is this, again, only for men, unfortunately, we're resuming the Bidikas HaToyloyim programs. If anybody would like to be trained in Bidikas Toloyim, you could use it for your home. You could use it to, if you want to go into into being a mashkiach. We can get you jobs at no cost at all. Uh, there is a training, there is a course for the training program. It's not a lot of money. It's lower price than other people are charging. It's uh, with the best people. I'm not going to tell you the names. I don't want to go through that already, but we can uh, set you up if you're interested in learning how to properly check Bidikas Toloyim. Men only, call us at 718-336-8544 or email me at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. And uh, this is your host, uh, Rabbi Yosef Wickler. Until next week, I, mean, I hope to see you at Kosher Fest if you can come by. <laughs> I hope to come to one of the shiur. And uh, if you want to contact us and let us know some of the topics that you'd like us to discuss on the show, just let us know. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, ed- editor of Kosher's Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week.